you got to know what your business is worth. If you don't, then the number they're throwing you doesn't mean anything. You're listening to Toolbox of the Trades, brought to you by Service Titan, a podcast for top service professionals where we interview leaders for their best tips and tricks of the trades. Learn how industry trailblazers stay ahead of the competition and how you too can be at the forefront of an industry. Let's jump in. Hello, contractors, and welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades. We're taking a short mid-season break to focus on Service Titan's Growth Series, an eight-week masterclass with turnkey advice from industry experts hosted by yours truly. Visit servicetitan.com slash growth to sign up. It's free. I'll be back with more season three interviews on May 18th, but for today, you'll hear from Brian Cohen, business strategist at SFP Advisors. Brian specifically requested today's topic, which is all about selling your business during the post-COVID golden age. 2020 proved that the trades are not only recession-proof, but also pandemic-proof, and private equity firms have taken notice. On this episode, Brian shares top tips for owners looking to sell and make the most most out of this one-time transaction, including getting multiple offers, knowing your numbers, and having good chemistry with your seller. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Don't forget to check out servicetitan.com slash growth to learn more about the masterclass and keep a lookout for new episodes starting May 18th. Brian Cohen, welcome to the Toolbox for the Trades. Thank you, Jackie. I am so excited to have you today. You are the business strategist at SFMP Advisors, and you and your business partner, Fred Silberstein, who has been on this podcast before, you guys always share some awesome must-hear information when it comes to buying and selling service businesses. So I'm so excited to have you here today. And as I understand it, today you're going to share some new trends you've noticed in the space to help inform and protect potential sellers. But before we dive into all that, I got to start the interview the way I started every time, how did you get into the trades? Through Fred, actually. So, by the way, I'm not Fred's partner because if we say that and he, you know, he hears that, he'll, he'll beat me up somewhere later on down the road. So, I got to make sure, you know, all good things to him. He's got a great business. You know, he's been at this for 20 plus years. So, I've known Fred. Fred's one of the first friends I met when I moved to Florida in the mid 80s. So, we grew up in a really neat area on the, eh, I, I don't want to make us come off like we're, sound like we're paupers, but we grew up in the outskirts of a very wealthy area in, in South Florida. And Fred and I had jobs after school. So, we worked at the shopping plaza up the street. He worked for one, com- one, one provider, I worked for another. And we'd be there like from four to 6 30 every day. So, we'd see each other while we're throwing out trash and doing everything. So, over the probably my first year, obviously developed a, a bond and a friendship through that. That fast forward 35 years <laughs> and we're still at it. But, you know, growing up, I mean, he, he lived a block away. So our parents became friends. You know, he was at my wedding party when I was married. And, and you know, we, we've done tons of stuff together over the years. But anyhow, Fred's been at this for so long. You know, he's got a really interesting story and, and he shares it, obviously, when we have calls with folks. But, um, you know, he's probably asked me two or three different times, hey, come look at what I'm doing, you know, help me grow this. And, at, you know, those other times I just had other business interests and other things going on. So I want to say four or five years ago, I don't even know the exact time, but we had a more serious sit down and uh, I realized, wow, I think I could take what you're doing now and let's go make this, you know, a, a lot bigger. And to that end, I'd like to think that I've uh, held up my end, that I absolutely know that he's held up his end. So we've continued to grow and, and bring on more clients and have more successful outcomes. 
it's been really an, an exciting number of years. I'm very happy that uh, we sat down and had lunch that day as old friends, seeing where everybody's going. So, and now you and I are here. Nice. Yeah. Amazing. And f- for folks who may be diving into the podcast the very first time for this episode, they didn't watch yours and Fred's webinar on how to sell a service business. Can you just give the you know two minute elevator pitch about what SFMP Advisors does and the kind of clients that you serve? Absolutely. We are a, a CPA firm that does merger sales and acquisitions with HVAC, plumbing, mechanical and industrial contractors. I think we're in our 20th year now. Fred worked for another uh, consolidator for about five or six years before that. I want to say to date, we've closed somewhere around 300 transactions. I know we broke, I think, close to about a billion and a half dollars in assets traded. We've handled the transactions for some of the biggest names in the space. You know, we did Ken Goodrich's deal. We did Dave Geiger's deal. We did Chad and Keegan Hodges down in uh, Southwest Florida. Recently, we handled a, a slew of very large ones, uh, you know, through the Midwest and and that area. And I think they're all noted up on our site as well. I hate to say this. There's been so many, sometimes I just don't remember them all, you know? But yeah. And very, very, That's very, okay. yeah, it's been an exciting uh, couple of years. This space, you know, no pun intended, continues to heat up. Yeah, for sure. And we will get to the specific reason we're talking in just a moment. But before that, I'm just generally interested. So Fred's been the mastermind behind the operation. You came on board four or five years ago. Just tell me about what your role is with clients as a business strategist. What's your primary objective when working with folks? Sure. You know, I think what happens is a lot of times folks don't understand really, or or owners really understand what a sale looks like. So from Fred's end, you know, listen, he's phenomenal what he does. He's working with the buyers and and negotiating out deals and working through the numbers. And if you understand that's incredibly labor intensive, you know, a lot of owners out there realize they have a bookkeeper or controller or somebody hired or or an accountant there full time to be able to run that so they can go ahead and run their business. Well, listen, Fred's expertise is in that space. So the flip side is somebody has to be able to go out and educate the owners to what a quote unquote sale looks like. And we use the term sale. It's never really an outright sale. You know, you're not selling your business on a Friday, collecting your check and not showing back up on Monday. It's a partnership. But most, I say most, you know, a lot of owners out there understand, hey, if I'm selling, I'm out and I don't want to be out. They don't understand. Well, I don't want to say they don't understand. They're getting, there's a lot better understanding now than there was you know, four or five, six years ago. But what I was finding in the beginning and having conversations with these owners, they didn't see it as an opportunity for growth. And that's really what it is. So when you're partnering with private equity, you know, there's many different reasons to do it, but ultimately it's to grow and succession plan for your business. And I guess to, to my end as a business strategist, and I've been a business owner before, I like to think that I communicate very well with folks and getting that point across so that they understand it it's kind of been key of what I've been doing it. And once we find that they understand, it doesn't mean that they want to, Hey, let's go see what a sale looks like tomorrow. Listen, they've got a business that's still running. It takes time for them to, to figure out kind of what they want to do. And we created some processes internally for owners to be able to explore that really in a non-threatening manner. So they can understand what the value of their business is and what some options may look like. Then at least they're armed with the information to go ahead and make an intelligent decision one way or, or another. What's interesting and Fred and I talk about this all the time. You know, years ago, the typical owner that wanted to make a transaction, notice I didn't say sell. They wanted to make a transaction happen. You know, 60, 65 years old or older, had been in the business for 40 plus years and they were kind of done. And it was time to figure out what the next step was going to look like. What we've seen now over the last number of years is there is a younger owner that understands the time value of money, wants to create a transaction today, 
roll equity, become part, partners with the private equity company. Let's go see how far this can grow because there are additional benefits that come along with that. Not only the financial payoff, you know, a certain number of years down the road when, they, when that private equity partner exits their investment, but there's so many opportunities for growth that they just may not be able to get organically. But you got to be ready to be able to do that too. So it's a lot of exploration and not everybody understands it the first go around. So I have conversations literally with some folks four or five years ago that are coming back around now saying, okay, let's revisit some of those conversations. You know, it finally got through ready, ready to talk. But yeah, so for me, it was really just getting out and, and having so many conversations with so many people and educating them on really what this transaction looked like, how it could benefit them. And obviously starting to get a lot of those folks to move forward. And to that end, it's been a, uh, really a, a really nice growth curve for us over the last couple of years. And it's not only because of my work, trust me, <laughs> the market also ha has helped us out. The multiples have, have helped us out. COVID, believe it or not, has actually helped out with some of this too. So you know, keep all that in mind. Well, wonderful transition. Uh, it's almost like you were reading my mind here, right? Like 2020 not only proved that the service industry is recession proof, but that it's also pandemic proof. So tell me more about how this has affected the market for selling and buying service businesses. Sure. So think about this. You're, I'll give you a couple examples. This is going to hopefully we'll all tie together. If I go on too many tangents, just, you know, rein me back in and we'll go from there. So when, when this all happened, I was actually at an event last March, almost a year ago, you know, for um, Service Roundtable. And oh my God, we're getting calls. Our flights are getting canceled. What's going to happen? You know, we all came, you know, got a flight back to South Florida and kind of sat there scratching our heads like, mm, you know, what's going to happen here? And, you know, we were kind of nervous the way everybody else was. But I'm always talking to probably 50 to 70 owners, you know, throughout the country. So there were owners that got very aggressive with this went back into their databases, cleaned things up, did a, a wonderful outreach program because they weren't sure either, but they realized we need to keep things moving. And, and all of a sudden I started hearing whispers, wow, our numbers are up, our numbers are up, our numbers are up. And you realize, wow, everybody's going to be home using all of their, right, everything they have in their house, even that much more. And all of a sudden homeowners are taking a look at their homes from a different perspective. So there started to become a lot of business that was generated. I know a lot of owners that, that really went gung-ho and really dumped money into marketing and advertising because they realized folks are going to be sitting home all day. Well, they're going to see their stuff nonstop. And their numbers really started taking off and going to the right. So as we went from you know, this scenario and we got deemed as you know, pandemic proof, that got interesting. Uh, the trades now became under a whole different scrutiny than they had from before. So buyers, these private equity companies, you know, they invest in these businesses. And I'm going to pivot here for a moment. And I swear I will tie all this back for you. So I'm on a private equity call with a couple hundred of these guys uh, on a conference call out in New York talking about, you know, our sector. And I always give out my phone number, you know, hey, 954-226-3409. Shameless plug there, by the way, just out there. And I start getting these calls afterwards. And they want to know basically who's for sale, not who is selling their business looking at partner, but who is saying, oh God, I'm scared. I'll take less now just to be out. And I probably had 20 something of these conversations. I said, that, that's not what's happening right now. As a matter of fact, the numbers are going up and to the right. So instead of you looking for a sale, I would start to think that you might actually be paying more for these businesses. I got laughed at a number of times and that's fine. That happens all the time too. And miraculously, some of those same people that made those calls have been active participants in some of our processes looking to buy up some of these companies. You know, and I giggle with them all the time. I said, remember we talked, you know, April of last year where you thought these businesses were going to be in, and now look where the multiples are. So private equity companies, you know, and again, I'm, I'm giving some generalizations, so don't hold me to the numbers, but relatively speaking, sure. 
some of these companies are looking at two to 3,000 businesses per month to potentially invest in. I'm not just talking about from our sector. You know, it's our sector and a lot of other sectors. Well, that deal flow dropped off by 80 or 90%. So let's say you're looking, used to looking at 3,000 deals per month and it's dropped off by 80 or 90%. You're now looking at a couple hundred of them, right? Still a lot of deals, but you, know, you don't have to pick it a litter the, the way you had from before. So private equity, they raise private funds, they got to deploy this capital and, and invest. So they're now more aggressively looking to do these investments. And our sector is on the forefront because we haven't dipped down. You know, think, think got about it. it. Yeah. Sure. And may, may I interject real quick? So private equity, when they look at areas to invest, they have thousands of businesses that they could evaluate every month. But because the service sector has been so profitable in COVID, they're really now... They're giant pool. They basically went from an ocean to a small pond kind of deal. And they're just, they're efficient for HVAC shops. Right. Yes. And again, these, these businesses have always been seen as recession proof. Now all of a sudden, wow, they are predictable. The cash flow is for residential HVAC. And they've really taken a strong liking to it. You know, the example I give, and we talk about this a lot with, with you know, folks that are interested in, in, in becoming, you know, our clients is, would you invest in a restaurant chain right now? No. Well, private equity invests in those all the time. So you take a really big sector out of play, they need to go find investments. We've taken some deals to market recently, and the number of non-disclosure agreements that we signed from interested buyers is mind-blowing to us. You know, we've crested 100, 130, 140 looks at some of these businesses, 40, 50, 60 NDAs. You know, years ago, 15, the buyer pool was obviously a lot smaller. So you have a lot of money that's flooded into the space, businesses that are going up and to the right that just went through one of the, you know, in recent history, very horrible situation here throughout the country and actually throughout the world. And the businesses are improving. So all of a sudden, buyers are getting a little bit more aggressive in what they want to pay for these businesses and thus multiples have gone up. So to that end, it's gotten, this base has gotten very, very well. When you and you and I talked the other day and you kind of told me about what you wanted to share during today's podcast, you said mm-hmm. that as a result, owners are just getting calls left and right for people that are that want to buy their business. And I would just love to hear from you about what are some things that owners need to be thinking about as they're now this crazy on-demand resource. They are now a sexy industry when historically they weren't. So like, right. what are some things that they need to be keeping in mind? What does all of this mean? Sure. So I don't think there's one person I've spoken to that hasn't gotten X number of calls per month or X number of emails about somebody who wants to buy their business. Obviously, we've, we've handled a ton of transactions. And one of the things I continue to hear post-transaction from our seller is, I think what made us most comfortable about doing all of this is that we got multiple offers. You guys gave us an idea of where you thought conservatively we would land with our business. And then you brought enough people to the table so that we saw it firsthand. So when we signed on our deal and chose who our buyer was going to be, we were confident in the fact that we were getting the right number for our business. You know, chemistry fit aside, let's just talk about the number for starters. Well, if you don't have multiple offers, how do you know what your business is worth? You see, private equity is a sophisticated game. You know, when you take a look at some of these private equity companies and, and really where these guys have gone to school, you know, Brown, University of Penn, Wharton School of Business, Harvard, Cornell, you know, these are incredibly intelligent people. There's a set of rules that private equity plays by, and they're asking us, you know, I'm, I'm looking at myself as, a, as an HVAC contractor, they're asking me to play by those same set of rules. 
Well, the difference is I play by the HVAC contractor set of rules, not the private equity set of rules. So if you don't understand what that means, you can get hurt in some of these deals. So they're calling on these businesses. Their hope is that they can buddy up with you, you know, realistically, section you off from the herd. Now they're involved in these one-on-one conversations with you. Do you really think that they're going to pay you your full value for your business? I don't. And when I see what the offers are that come in, because a lot of times we get phone calls after that. Hey, we're not sure if this offer was any good, you know, and, and you know, they, they give us an idea of what's going on. It's not that we laugh. It's it's no, it's not a great scenario. And you're not going to know what the scenario is until you've gotten a number of bids. Then therefore you have a true understanding what your fair market value is. So if you haven't taken that step, shame on you. You know, there are so many intricacies within these deals. It's not only just the amount of money that they're going, that they're going to pay you. What is your defined EBITDA? You know, everybody says my EBITDA, my EBITDA, my multiple, my multiple. Well, there are two separate things that when you multiply them against each other, gives you your enterprise value. So the first thing is you need to be clear on what your EBITDA is. Now, I can tell you in the hundreds of potential transactions we've looked at and financials that have come over, where we have an owner that feels that they know what their EBITDA is, I don't think there's ever been anybody that's come within six figures of what they thought their EBITDA was. And that means some people have shot incredibly high because they want to throw everything back in there as an ad back. And some people have been incredibly low because they don't understand the full, um, the full impact of digging through their check registry to understand on what could be defined as an ad back. So that number one, they're starting off with an EBITDA number that is not correct. you know. And then the second thing is, there's all these whispers about what multiples are. You know, well, I mean, I should be able to get this X or that X. Well, compared to what? Because you heard your friend who's on the other side of the country that got this, who's three times your size. That does not mean that that's what you're going to get. So you have to be realistic with what you're doing too. So I think the blessing, the curse from our end, from SF&P advisors is, yeah, we become that voice of reason. Like, we're not going to BS you. We're going to tell you where it's at. I don't need to sign a client because I overstated what I think I can get you if we go to market. You know, if anybody that knows us, we're usually more on the conservative side. You know, our goal at that point in time is go ahead and exceed that by bringing you know, a lot of buyers to the table so they can take a look at what the transaction may look like and if it's a right fit for them. So I'm going to ask you to define, to just define some terms for folks that whose eyes may have glossed over and they may have gotten very scared. Maybe they were summer school math children like myself, <laughs> but can you just define for me EBITDA? what a multiple is and what an ad back is. Cause you talked about multiple offers, but the multiple that you talked about in relation to EBITDA is different. Sure. So EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. We add another A on that for ad backs. So an ad back, so that's EBITDA, right? And that gives you the number that forms the basis of what the deals are typically uh, premised upon, uh, premised around. So an ad back is an expense that's one time in nature. And the better way to, to explain this is if you sold your business tomorrow and you were not showing back up on Monday, and so you sold your business probably not showing back up on Monday, what expenses have you been running through the business that the new owner will not have? Does that make sense? Mm. So the things that you've been running through, let's say you have family on the payroll, right? You've got cell phones, you've been running through the business, you know, and again, it needs to go through your income statement as an expense. So that's a whole, but let's keep it simple for now. We don't have to get even crazier, but expenses are one time in nature. You got your life insurance that you're paying through. You've been running your car through it. You know, let's say you did a home improvement project on your house and you ran that through your business. No, it's not back, but that's only done on the trailing 12 months. So it's only really stuff that's 12 months from whatever today is going back 12 months, those type of expenses that, that have gone through. 
So the key in an ad back, because it does form a pretty big part of the, um, of the EBITDA is understanding what it is, you know, working with somebody like us who understands what it is, they can dig into everything and give you the formulas and the sheets so you can find all of this. Because the reality is, if you're talking about an 8x for your business, and again, I don't know what everybody size the business is, you chose a number, you know, that eight times multiple, it's eight times your EBITDA, then every dollar you find in an back could be worth $8 to you in enterprise value. So when we kind of explain it that way with our clients, they get very interested in going through the check registries and credit cards to see what other things they can find that would be credited as an back. You know, sometimes that back makes up a financial part of that, that EBITDA that EBITDA number because they're running so much through. And that's some of the beauty, by the way, of owning your own business is the ability to go ahead and, and, and move things through. Oftentimes, we get folks that, that they just don't want to be as forthright with what they're doing. And that's okay. We have to explain to them, we're not the IRS. We're not the government. We don't care what you do. We just have to be aware of, of what you're doing so we can position it properly. And then it's being able to get credit for certain things that are ad backs. You know, obviously, we know hundreds upon hundreds of buyers in this space. There are some that are more leaning on certain ad backs and some that are going to be, you know, draw a line in the sand and not give us credit for it. So it's understanding kind of where we can push and pull, which is going to drive that EBITDA number up. So there's EBITDA. And then the multiple, you know, you say, well, how do you get a seven multiple or an eight multiple or a nine or a 10 or, you know, how does this work? The size of the business is, is, is first and foremost, the bigger you are, the more they're going to pay you. Okay. When you, you know, as you start to take a look at the things that make up a multiple size is important. Where's your geography and location? You know, listen, if you're in a top 50 DMA designated market area, obviously the expectation is you'd be at the higher part of the range as opposed to somebody that's number 240 down on that list. What does your business mix look like? You know, residential repair and replacement with uh, little to no new construction and or commercial work, that's going to get the highest multiple. So, yeah, you start to, you know, if you look into a quadrant, you put your graph paper together and saying, hey, how do I maximize my value of the business? Well, as I'm saying these things, you're, you're moving to the upper part that's going to get you the biggest value for your bang for your buck when you go to market. Got it. And there's a lot, uh, you know, obviously we can get to some details on, on a lot more things that go on, but that's the, the broad strokes of this. So when these guys are coming in and making offers on the business, you're getting calls, right? Somebody saying, hey, I'm going to make this offer. You got to understand what entails that, what, what goes into that offer. They're never going to allow you to maximize, you know, everything you want as far as an ad back is concerned for you to multi- maximize your EBITDA. And they're never going to maximize their multiple. They want to make sure there's some spread there so they can make their money too. So if you're doing it on your own, these are some of the challenges that you come up with. Also, some of the challenges, you've never done this before on your own. So this is your most important asset. You have one time to make this huge deal. Now today, Dak Prescott just signed a $160 million four-year deal. He maximized everything he could get, right? Some people aren't Cowboys. Wait, I'm sorry. 160, 160 mil? <laughs> over four years. I don't know what the guaranteed monies were, but my point is he understood he had one time to max out this contract, you know, to get the most that he can. Well, when it comes to your business and you're selling something you've been working on for 20, 30, 40 years, why would you play a game and try and do it on your own? Especially if you don't know all the rules. Trust me, they're going to be your partner after the transaction. They're not going to tell you all the tips, sense, and everyday wisdom to go ahead and maximize what the value of your business is going in. They'd rather pay you something lower. They're going to make more money on their exit because of that. Does that make sense? Got it does make sense. And I want to talk a little bit more about the wine and dining between the buyer and the owner. I like how you mentioned they're going to call you. They're going to try to separate you from the herd. And I also want to be very clear. We've had private equity firms on this podcast. Private equity is a big player in the space. Mm-hmm. 
in no way is this you know meant to vilify folks that are well-intentioned folks who may be calling and trying to buy your business but i really want you to answer that question in the sense of all right you're a strategic owner with a really hot asset here's are the, here are the things that you need to keep in mind so what should folks think about if they get like a really insane offer like hey we'll offer you 10 million dollars for your business so to speak what are some of the first things people should do when maybe that first call comes in First, you have to get a, get an understanding. You, you got to know what your business is worth. If you don't, then the number they're throwing you doesn't mean anything. So if you don't have, aren't clear on what you you understand your the value of your business to be, it doesn't matter what number they throw across. You know, it, it, we've seen plenty of scenarios where an owner said, "Wow, that seems like a lot, a lot more than I thought my business was worth." And they've moved forward and made that transaction. And you know, we we've heard and seen what some of these look like, and we shake our head because they've left millions of dollars on the table. You have to understand the, the details of what that offer looks like. So take your take a $10 million scenario, okay? The devil's in the details. As you read through the line items, are they giving you $10 million cash at clo- closing? Or is it, hey, here's you know, $7 million with an earnout for the next three years of a $1 million each, as long as you maintain or hit a certain EBITDA number? Well, that's not really a $10 million offer. That's a $7 million offer with three consecutive one-year periods of a million dollars each of an earnout. That is called conditional consideration. We don't look as conditional consideration as truly part of the deal. So one that I looked at not too long ago, you know, I think it was about an $18 million. We felt the fair market value was somewhere around 18 million. You know, this offer comes in, you know, somewhere around that 14, 15 mark. And, and here's these earnouts, you know, a million and change every year. Well, you're now realizing that they've just put the golden handcuffs on you as the owner. So if an owner, if you're trying to create a transaction to have some more freedom, right? To maybe take care of some of your management team and, and, and putting equity in place for them to be able to make some money down the road with the, with the, with the next sale. Well, what you really just did is they just chained you back to your business again for the next three years that you're going to have to get after it. And they dangled that million dollar carrot in front of you. Well, the reality is your business was worth 18 million the entire time. You need to be represented properly so that you get your fair market value, not this earnout stuff. And earnouts do play their part. Again, every transaction has its own fingerprint, and I'm not saying they don't. But if you haven't gotten multiple offers, you're not being represented by somebody who knows what the market will bear and and has the relationships with the buyers so that the buyers can't play games with you. These are some of the things that happen. But you know, you asked the dinner question, by the way. So I want to take back with that. All right, listen, I'm a buyer. I want to make friends with the seller. You know, I want to take you out. I want to get to know you. I want you to be able to get to know us. I want to try and develop that chemistry. And then I'm going to put an offer out there for you and, and hope that it works. Well, you know, most of the times we say those offers really aren't fair market offers. They wind up coming in less than what they would if they knew that they were competing to buy your business. If they're not competing, they are not going to be pushed to maximize what their offer is. Okay. So now you, you do this deal, right, with this company, this buyer that, that's been, you know, whining and dining you, and they've been picking up all the dinners, right? Well, in hindsight, those dinners cost you hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars potentially, you know, at, at every one because they didn't give that to you in purchase price. So you just have to, you know, you just got to be careful. you got, you know, we, we've saved the, say this a lot and I'm saying it for a second time. You really have one time to make this really good deal for yourself. And while the number is incredibly important on what they're going to offer you, there's also chemistry fit, you know, is, is yeah. are you aligned, you know, with the buyer's view of what they think they can do with the business? Are you aligned with, what that buyer, you know, how they see you integrating, you know, are you aligned with, hey, they've got all these other companies and they want to sell in a certain amount of years, you know, you just have to be aligned with what's going on. And 
I'd say last year, there were a number of transactions that we handled where the highest offer wasn't the one that was taken. It was the second, sometimes the third. So it's not always about that, that highest number. It's also about the chemistry fit too. I would watch a TV show, Bachelor, but for selling HVAC businesses. This is what I'm thinking. <laughs> this is what I'm thinking as you're telling me this very sophisticated business buying and acquisition. I'm like, they should make this into a reality show. Um, because I think that's what it is. It's true though, right? I mean, you're going to be in yeah. business in a partnership with these folks until that private equity company exits. And oftentimes they bought up plenty of other companies. You know, you'd love to have some conversations with them to make sure that what they said at the closing tables is to the other companies that they're actually following through on. I think that becomes kind of important, doesn't it? You know, to be able yeah. to do some of those checks. And while you're going through a process and they are interviewing you as a seller, you're also interviewing them as a buyer. You know, what have you done in the past? Tell me about some other deals that you purchased. Tell me about your exits in some other spaces. You know, who can we talk to to have some conversations? Just want to get an idea that what you're telling me is the same thing you've told everybody else and you followed through on it. That, that's the reality, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. And I can only imagine how much detail has to go into planning these conversations and making sure you're getting the right questions answered while also, oh, hey, still running your service business that you want to keep profitable and growing as you explore these multiple options, right? That was one thing Fred said when he came on was like, whatever you do, do not, you know, get lazy behind the wheel. You need to keep driving that business. So that just adds more value into why bringing in someone like SFMP makes these deals it just makes things a lot easier. I have a quick question about conditional consideration because that's really interesting to me. You know, the golden handcuffs thing. And you said every deal has its own thumbprint and is unique to every situation. Are, consider- consider- are conditional considerations more common when we're looking at growth through acquisition? So say a owner wants to sell to a buyer to merge their business with a larger business. Um, they want somewhat of a buyout, but they're also interested in growing. Like when is a conditional consideration worth it? If the business mix is non-standard. So, you know, how they're getting their business may be different than the typical organic growth. Hey, I'm doing my marketing. Here's my CRM. I'm using service site. You can see all my numbers. Here are my install numbers. Here's what it is. They have different ways that they acquire business. Maybe they're, they run... I don't want to pigeonhole myself, by what I'm saying is if you're non-traditional, you have, most people who are going to listen to this understand, hey, I, I, I do this type of marketing. I know what my cost per acquisition is. I know how many people we need to sit to close a deal, how many folks my people need to talk to. When you fall outside of that and you're getting your business by some other means, there may be conditional consideration in play only because the buyers don't fully understand it the way that you do. So that conditional consideration comes into play because they say, listen, we get it and we're willing to pay you X. And we think that you can get here. We're a little bit nervous, right? So why don't we put this in play? You prove it out to me for the next couple of years, one year, two years, three years. And when you prove it out, I'm going to go ahead and write you a check. So sometimes those are good plays. I'm just saying a majority of the time, it's not. A majority of the time, it's tying somebody to the business to go ahead and hit a number so the private equity can actually make more money. Yeah, you'll make some more money, but private equity can too. If that deal is negotiated properly, you should get all of that up front. You know, you should the conditional consideration rolling the dice, you know, and, and part of the problem, Jackie, with rolling the dice is look at the pandemic last year. So if you did a deal and closed it and months before, right. And, and you're running through your first year and you're supposed to hit this certain number through your first year and the pandemic hits and you dip before you come back up or you have struggles getting back up to what your revenue numbers need to be. 
you're going to miss strike one. You, you miss probably going to miss the first year. Okay. Now what starts to happen? You know, now, you know, you're not going to be as happy as you were <laughs> when you put that deal together. So you kind of have to be careful with that. You know, you understand that these buyers are taking a risk, you know, as much as you're taking a risk and choosing the buyer, the reality is when the money hits the account, it's yours. These buyers are taking a risk that you're also going to step up and do the things that you've said that you're going to do too. So one of the ways you do that is by having a deep management team in place. So the business is not purely dependent upon you. You know, there's managers in place. They love to see a scenario where, hey, the owner's in there 20 hours a week. He's taking a lot of vacations. It means the business is not dependent upon the owner. They'll pay that owner handsomely. And obviously the hope is that the owner or the private equity company is going to put some type of management incentive pool together so that his top line managers, some other folks, he or she, whoever owns the business, have the ability to, to, to make some money when another transaction happens. So there's a lot of different reasons why, why people put these deals together. Just now with you know, the potential threat of a capital gains increase next year, possibly, you know, goes from 20 to 40%. It's not as exciting to do these deals anymore because these owners are going to pay a lot more money post-closing when, when they deal with their tax implications. So it's heated some things up last year into this year. Interest rate's still low. Borrowing, borrowing money is still inexpensive. And the, the restaurant scenario hasn't opened up for them for private equity to reinvest it. I just use that as a placeholder. There's a lot of businesses, opportunities that fall under that umbrella. So we still have a ton of buyers that are in this space. So it, it gets exciting. I mean, it sounds like it's really exciting. It sounds like there's still a lot of really great opportunity happening right now. We're recording this on March 9th, 2021. This will come out very soon thereafter. But the big takeaways I'm getting here right now are if you are a service industry owner and you have got all your ducks in a row, you got your systems and processes, you have your recurring service agreements, you have a stellar management team in place. You, you know, are as you're not removed from the business, but you can definitely step away without it without it hurting. You have a really valuable asset on your hand. Congratulations. Yeah. All right. What you have to do if you're thinking about uh, thinking about selling, you want to make a giant financial event for yourself, get multiple options. So first to figure out what the baseline is like, okay, like what's out there? You're kind of it's almost like dating again with a bachelor reference, but that's what I'm thinking. Figuring out the chemistry back to the dating reference, right? Like who is this buyer? How are they going to take my business forward? Because obviously there's this emotional element, right? You built this thing for decades, in some cases, you want to make sure that you're selling it to someone who's going to take care of it. And then um, above all else, make sure that they have someone in their corner like SFMP advisors who can make sure that they're getting the biggest bang for their buck and give them some conservative estimates. Yeah. I mean, these are all really complex very important high stakes things. I, I'm glad that you came on here to really talk about, hey, don't blow your one shot on this one big time contract. Oh, we, you, you can't, we, you know, listen, we know some owners that have, and we've spoken to them, you know, they said, we wish we would have found you. And I have a handful of them that refer people to me left, right, and center. When they get calls, you know, Hey, I heard you made a transaction for your business. Listen, wasn't thrilled with it in hindsight, should have called these guys, you know, the reputation, you know, is that they're going to maximize what my exit looks like. But, you know, one of the things I had said from before and, and everything you said, by the way, absolutely. You know, when you talk about that bench strength, one of the questions I ask owners is this, how long can you stay away from your business and your business continues to move up into the right, doesn't skip a beat? Is it a week? Is it a month? Is it a year? The longer you can stay away from your business, obviously the stronger the benches that you have in place, which will speak volumes, you know, obviously when you go to make a transaction happen. But, you know, 
God, there, there was a, um, a gentleman I spoke to about a year ago. He gets his, his numbers audited every year. He spends the money to get it audited. And, and, and again, we don't tell everybody to get their numbers audited. Just this is what he does. And he said, it's my scorecard. It's my report card. I know every year how I've done based upon my audited numbers look like. And we use that as the basis to move things forward. Well, my gosh, we've created a system at SF&P pretty, you know, within a couple of weeks where we can give somebody an idea of what their business is worth. You know, we do it all the time. You know, we do it for, uh, for service uh, Titan folks that use your service. Give me two weeks. Give me your number. You know, we ask for a, a minimal amount of information, at least so you know where you're at. Because everybody says, I don't want to make a transaction. I want to make a trans. You know, they're not sure what they want to do. I always say, put that on the side for a second. You don't have to make any of those decisions before you at least know what your numbers are. You're not, you're making an uninformed decision from the start. How about we take a look, get an idea of where you're at. You know, best case scenario, you're more than surprised about, oh my God, wow, this is incredible. Worst case scenario, you kind of know where your hiccups are and you bought the time now to go ahead and fix those. You know, the worst thing I would ever want to see happen is somebody has this, you know, this wrong notion of what their business is worth. So they've been going along, going along, going along. And now it's time that they want to make a transaction happen. They're like, oh my God, it's going to take me 12, 24 months to dig out of this, this problem. I didn't realize this, this, this. So we do this all the time. Listen, anybody who's listening, I'd be more than happy to do a valuation. Now it's a business estimate valuation. I'm not putting a 35 page report together and having Fred sign off it with CPA, but it's free. You can call me, my cell phone number, 954-226-3409. You can call me, you can text me. Just text me your information. I'll call you back. We'll, I'll walk through you know, what we need in order to be able to make this happen. At least you'll know where you are. Think about your your your, uh, your report card on what your business is doing. You know what I mean? Is that okay? hundred percent. Is it okay that I? Oh yeah, no, it's okay. No, it's hundred percent that you threw that out there. I'm waiting for you to uh, do a remix of that song that does the eight six seven five three zero nine. Jenny, you should I got like, figure out a way. I think okay. I think that's a good marketing thing to go into. Another thing we wanted to talk about, because I know we have limited time, uh, was equity reinvestment as well. So what did you want to talk about in regards to equity reinvestment and how owners should be aware of that piece of the puzzle? Great. Okay. Yep. So again, this is the devil in the details. So most buyers, when they're buying your business, so I'm going to take a, a, keep the numbers easy. I'm going to take a $10 million company. Okay. Enterprise value is 10 million. The agreed upon deal is 10 million. Here comes the Letter of intent. And in the letter of intent, most of these buyers, I say most, again, every deal is a little bit different. I don't want to pigeonhole myself and get black and white, but they're going to want you to reinvest part of your proceeds into the private equity fund so that you have some skin in the game. Ah. Okay. Yes. And why this gets really interesting in with these deals, most of them are going to want a 10 to 20% reinvestment. So you get 10 million, you know, for argument's sake, you get 10 million at closing. You're quote unquote reinvesting one or two million back. So net net, you're going to have we'll, we'll use twenty percent for the sake of this conversation. You reinvest two million. You're walking away with eight. Well, now you're reinvested with the private equity company, so or the buyer. So the buyer wants to grow your EBITDA at the same time they want to grow all the other holdings they have to grow all their EBITDA. And there's a host of different ways they do this. A lot of back office savings, price reductions on supplies, just a lot. You know, tighten up on the marketing and advertising. They're usually not looking to reinvent the wheel on your business. You know, they're there to, in a, in almost in a, in a capacity of, hey, what can we do to help you? Hey, we can do this. We can help you out here. They're not walking in the door to run your business. They typically are going to have, you know, calls with you once a month, have conversations, get an idea what your budget looks like for the next month. But they're looking for savings aspects. But when they bring together all this EBITDA, so let's say this, this company that got $10 million had a million-dollar EBITDA number. 
again, don't hold me to this, please. If you're at home, don't be writing numbers down saying this is what Brian said he could get me. <laughs> for creative purposes and it's easy to work with ones and tens. So you're a million dollars in EBITDA and they have 10 other companies that are a million dollars in EBITDA as well, or nine other. All total, you're a $10 million EBITDA company. Well, $10 million EBITDA company, obviously at market's going to get a whole lot more than what they paid you. Well, when you reinvest a piece with the private equity company, you share in that growth. So when they look to go ahead and divest themselves to the investment or sell you know, their, their investment, get out of that investment to the next buyer, you get a piece of that. And when we are sitting down with buyers and having conversations, we oftentimes want to see performers of what they feel that reinvestment piece may look like. You know, it could be four, five, six X on that reinvestment piece. So if you put $2 million up and you got four or five X back, it's another eight or $10 million, depending on what the time horizon is for them to exit the investment. And listen, it could be 24 months, could be 36, could be 48, but these are conversations that are had, you know, during these buyers meetings. When I say that, you know, obviously there's an interview process that goes back to the buyer as well. You want to get an idea. What are they looking at? What is their, their exit? How, you know, the who, what, where, when, and why, you know, we want to get Got those answer for them too. And that's part of the chemistry fit. You know, somebody may not want to do business with a buyer who's like, listen, I'm out of this thing in, in X number of months. And then some people are like, well, I'd rather be with, with, with somebody that's in for the long haul than what's hold on to this for the next seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. So every situation is different and it's based upon the buyer's feeling, uh, excuse me, the seller's feeling on where they feel most comfortable. Interesting. Another thing I want to ask you about is the capital gains tax, which you alluded to before. So right now you're saying the state of our economy, it's pretty cheap to uh, borrow money. It's a, uh, it's, it's a pretty good market right now. Are you anticipating in the next year, couple years, that's going to not, it's not going to be a bad market, but it's going to get, just get a little bit more expensive for the seller. Yeah. You know, if they change capital gains, you know, you, you're, you're, every state is different, but your first X percentage of your business is going to go at, I think, an ordinary income tax. And then the piece after that is, is has capital gains attached to it. Again, call, by the way, call Fred. Fred has all this inside and out. He's the genius behind all this. But um, capital gains, if it goes from 20 to 40%, that's a significant increase in the tax rate. And all of a sudden, you know, as, a, as an owner of a business, making a transaction happen when that happens, isn't as inviting or uh, doesn't look as sexy as it does getting something done while it's at 20%. So yeah, our feeling is that will, that will transactions will still happen. They always do up markets or down markets. You know, there, there's always deals that are happening. I just think the number of deals that are happening have ramped up over the last couple of years. I think that'll slow down. Got it. You know? I have one other question for you and I'm going to ask you to share anything else. But, you know, I know you live in the space of the buyer and the seller, right? Mainly dealing with the owner of a business. What advice would you give to anyone who may work for a business who just got sold? Usually it's a pretty good thing, you know, because the owner has partnered usually for growth. You know, a lot of these deals that happen, the owner realizes, that, hey, I've maxed out kind of what I can do. And again, I'm generalizing. I'm not saying this is everybody. I don't need a phone call or a text message with somebody saying, you know, hey, but you, know, you want to get yourself to the next level. And when you take a look at some of the breakpoints, you know, there's a breakpoint at 3 million, at 5 million, at 7, at 10, and it kind of goes 10, 12, 15. Then you start to push towards 20. And, and there's these breakpoints where you need to get over that next level. So intelligent owners that realize they're at a breakpoint and the amount of effort it's going to take to get them over, like say from 8 to 10 million, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. But with a private equity partner who's now looking at your business differently, helping you out with some things, maybe making more efficient, price breaks on supplies, whatever it may be, oftentimes can help you get to that place. So if, if I'm working for somebody, 
and I'm like, oh, wow, they just put a deal together. Oftentimes, it's usually going to improve what's going on for me as an employee. You know, private equity doesn't come in to change any, any commission structures. They're not looking to change pay rates. You know, you think about this. And I have this conversation, by the way, a lot of times with business owners. And I always say, I don't want you to take offense. You built an incredible business at 10, 20, 50, whatever your number is. But you're private, partnering with private equity that has done hundreds of these deals. They have a half a billion or billion dollars of companies that they own. Think about what the big benefits could be for you. You know, do the, do the insurance plans and health plans and everything else, that all get better? Does the insurance rates for the business, does that get better? Because you're now grouped in with something that's so much bigger. I haven't heard it, but I'm sure it has happened. We're, we're, you know, sometimes the business will take a step backwards. But no, most times it's going to be very beneficial. They are now potentially for employees of the seller, there's bigger, better potential opportunities. You know, mm. somebody sees you, you're a diamond in the rough. They could do, do some pretty impressive stuff. Who knows where you can go? But the, I, I think that the door opens a lot wider, you know, in that situation. And then, of course, you know, we get owners that say, well, I mean, you know, my people are going to get freaked out and so on and so forth, you know, because we did this deal. Yeah, they're going to be made to be held accountable the same way they were from before. And if that's a problem, going to be a bigger problem, you know, in the transaction you're looking to have, maybe that person shouldn't have been there to begin with. You know yeah. So, so you have to think about that too, you know. Got it. It's always a bad thing. I agree. So to wrap up our conversation, which has just, I think it's going to be titled Dating in the Time of COVID for Service Business Owners. <laughs> Um, maybe, I don't know. It might be, it might not. It'll at least be in the blog recap of this episode. Is there anything that we should have touched upon that we did not? Multiples are still going up. There are a ton of buyers in the space. It is a really exciting time to look to get a transaction done. Fred calls this the golden age. We have not ever seen it like it is right now. So when we have conversations with owners who are trying to time this right, the question I ask is, when you bought or sold your house, did you do it the high or the low? Did you time that too? And most of them are going to say no. You're never going to be able to time this perfectly, so don't get bent out of shape doing that. But if you've got a business that has some, you know, listen, if you've got a business that's somewhere between five or 10 million and you have not at least explored what this may look like, I don't know when this is coming back again. So it's been years since this. I, I think almost 20 years since the, you know, the craziness in the transaction space was go, happening around these, these type of businesses. Are you willing to wait another 20 years for this to happen again? Or through whatever the current administration is to get through to the next one? And, and, and if they stay around for another four, now you're eight years. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you don't have a crystal ball. You kind of only know what's going on now. And, and you know, we kind of see how things are shaping up through this year. But if you're not at least looking at it, you know, what's the worst case scenario by exploring it? The, the, our clients, you know, our, our sellers, whatever you feel like calling them for sake of this conversation, the power is always with them. If they don't like the number, they say no. If they're not ready, they say no. If they don't like the buyer, they say no. Anytime they want to back out of a transaction, that's fine. It is what it is. But to not explore it, to see what's going on in the market, if you're getting it, put it this way, if your business is getting calls from buyers because they want to have conversations with you, you should be having a conversation with us. Got it. All right. Yeah. I think that, Hey, that's a good one. (laughs) That's a good one. Um, All right. I have some rapid fire questions I'm going to give you. Uh, The first one is, do you have any podcast or book recommendations you would like to make to our audience? Thank you. Yes. You did put me on the spot. Your podcast, (laughs) the stuff that you guys do is fantastic. The stuff that uh, Cristiano does through Rhino, he does fantastic stuff too. 
besides that, I don't listen to a whole bunch. I just don't have the time. Truth be told sure. in my space, what we do really doesn't change a whole lot, but there are some pretty impressive people out there on Facebook that have put the groups together. And what I'm seeing is, as being a part of a bunch of these, there's so much great information that goes back and forth, you know, plus obviously you have all the affinity groups, which is a whole nother knowledge base. I just think that there's just so much information available out there. If you just open your ears and do the work of digging in, you're going to find the answers you want. Somebody's already been through everything that you're going through and gotten through the other side with whatever challenge you may have. I, I think it's readily available. Got it. Any go-to business books or books about, you know, selling businesses or anything like that, that you really like? Fred has written so many articles on this that, uh, you know, I think he'd be really upset if I walked in with, you know, how to sell a big tech business. I have so many articles. I'd be more than happy to get articles out. We, um, we have some going in some of the magazines once a month too. We're, we're contributing now as well. And we do it through podcasts like this and, and, and things. So I know. Great question. I kind of really didn't answer it. I'm sorry about that. No, you're no, don't apologize. I'm going to link. I should give Fred's phone number and say, here, you have have deeper questions. Call Fred. He loves getting calls, especially after eight o'clock at night. (laughs) I will link the SFMP website. So folks can check that out if they want some more resources. Um, And they can call me as well. You know, listen, call me, send me an email. 54-226-3409. I'll get questions answered for you. We can get on a team call as well and, and dive into some of those more sophisticated questions that we didn't touch upon them here today. Great. I got some more rapid fire questions. How do you take your coffee? Black. If you could have dinner with one person dead or alive, who would it be? God, that's really going. My father. Oh. Mm. What's the number one thing you're trying to learn more about right now? Healthy eating habits and vegan. Oh. Yes. I have some things I could share with you at the end of this recording. It's, it's hard, but if you find some good vegan recipes, it can really uh, get you through that initial hurdle. If money weren't an object, so you had unlimited resources, what's the first thing you would do? I would probably take a really, really long cruise on one of those amazingly expensive cruise ships where they take care of everything for you and go see a whole lot of the world that's been on my bucket list. Love it. What's the number one thing every contractor should do to run a successful business? Know their numbers. Got it. Got it. I love it. Brian Cohen, thank you so much for being a guest on Toolbox for the Trades. Thank you, Jackie. I appreciate it. Hey, Toolbox listeners. I hope Brian's episode got your wheels turning about the realities of selling your business post-COVID and that my pop culture metaphors were both helpful and entertaining. This is just another reminder that the Toolbox for the Trades is taking a short mid-season break to focus on the growth series, an eight-week masterclass featuring turnkey advice from industry experts. This series will be incredible, and I hope you sign up to join us for the journey. To register for free, go to servicetitan.com slash growth. Again, that's servicetitan.com slash growth. Until then, be on the lookout for new Toolbox episodes starting May 18th. Ever wonder how the experts at Roto-Rooter, A1 Garage Door, and ZoomDrain successfully scaled their business? Well, now's your chance to find out. Service Titan is proud to present the Growth Series, a free eight-week masterclass featuring some of the most successful service entrepreneurs. Hear directly from industry leaders on the strategies they use to achieve exceptional growth. The Growth Series kicks off Thursday, March 25th, with a talk from four-star General Stanley McChrystal, former commander of U.S. and international forces in Afghanistan and best-selling author. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Go to servicetitan.com slash growth to register for free. That's servicetitan.com slash growth.